Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. This podcast was created for entrepreneurs who are seeking motivation, digital marketing tips, personal development resources, and a nice dose of comic relief. Now for your host, Jason Wright. What's going on, everybody? Jason Wright here with yet another episode of the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. As always, I'm excited to be here. Glad to have you guys here as well. Anytime I can get some of your attention in this noisy world, I'm doing something right. So I appreciate that. Today's sponsor, the Backwards Route Book. Com. The Backwards Route to Forward Progress is my recent book I published, and I decided it would be today's sponsor. So check that out if you haven't already at backwardsroutebook.com. All right, so today I'd like to um, start off with a story, and then usually after the, the interview, if I have one, which I've had quite a few lately, we'll go into like show notes and that type of stuff, and then like kind of a final thought. So I may start getting uh, bold and creative and just mixing things up episode to episode this year. So we'll see what happens, but uh, don't expect anything because, I mean, I may have co-hosts. I'm just going to kind of get crazy with it and see what happens. So um, we'll try some new things here. So this week's story, I want to talk about giving away value with the expectation of nothing in return. And this is something that I've done for the last couple years uh, here in the last week. Actually, one of you listeners has reached out to me via email, and we're going to connect here soon and have a conversation, and I'll probably get that listener on the show as a guest as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, I talked to a guy in the middle of last week who was just uh, a mutual, we had a mutual friend, and he's a, a marketer, digital marketer, and he has a couple questions about Facebook and kind of some strategy things. And I talked to him for 20 or 30 minutes. And I tell you what, if you can do that with your business, if you can just randomly select opportunities to give somebody value with the expectation of nothing in return, like legitimately, like from the heart. I promise you, I don't know how this works, but it comes back around to you. Call it karma, call it whatever you want to, but there's something very powerful that happens. I'm convinced of it. I I can't be uh, talked out of it. Um, Ironically, you know, there was maybe two or three instances of me doing this last week had a conversation with a guy, and it's not locked in yet, but we spoke about an opportunity in the digital marketing space that could be absolutely massive for for me and the business on a level that I can't even articulate properly. Um, You know what? If it doesn't work out, here's my thought. The fact that I'm even getting at-bats for those type of opportunities is phenomenal. So I challenge you guys, find a way to give away value, See what happens, you know, try to make an impact on people. Don't look out for yourself. Don't think about money all the time. And um, I think great things will happen for you. So think about that. So today we've got a a great guest. I've got Roger Bodwin from Restaurant Rockstars, who I'll be speaking to here in a moment. Awesome guy. Awesome story. Uh, We had a really, really good conversation. I know you guys will enjoy this. If you guys have any any suggestions for the show? I mean, I literally want to say it's your show. It's not mine. Um, let me know. Let me know what you'd like to see. Let me know what you'd like to see me try. Anything you want, shoot me an email. 
inspire at grayfoxbusiness.com. That's G-R-E-Y foxbusiness.com. And Gray Fox Business Ventures is my parent company. That's what that's all about. But um, Intentionally Inspirational is the brand that you see everywhere. So just to clarify. But don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'll, I'll respond. I'm uh, quite responsive on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and, and even by email. So give it a shot. See what happens. All right. Enough of me yapping. But seriously, seriously, I want somebody to reach out to me and let me know if you start just taking 15, 20 minutes um, spending that with people and just trying to give value to complete strangers. If something comes back around, I want to know about it. I want to share that. If it happens, I'll get you on the show and we'll talk about it and inspire other people. It's super powerful. You know, if we all try to help each other out, uh, this world's going to be a better place. That is for certain. All right, let's check out this conversation between Roger and I, and I will talk to you again after that. What is going on, everybody? I've got another great guest with me this week. I've got Roger Bodwin with me, and he is from Restaurant Rockstars. Let me tell you what I know about Roger. He is a podcast host himself of the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. He does sales training, coaching, and consulting for restaurants. He's the author of Rock Your Restaurant, creator of the Restaurant Rockstars Academy, and he is a restaurant entrepreneur himself. Roger, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. It's a pleasure being here. No problem at all, my friend. Tell us your journey to, you know, getting into your first restaurant and kind of let us know where where all this began for you. Well, you know, they say be careful for what you wish for because it might come true. And that's certainly what happened in my case. When I got into the business over 20 years ago, I had no restaurant experience. I had no restaurant management experience call me crazy, but I saw an opportunity and I sort of jumped into it. And uh, to make a long story short, it was all based on a place that I had been to numerous times in Switzerland. I was living in, actually, I was living in Massachusetts, but interviewing for a job in the ski industry, because I'm a huge skier. And I went on a job interview to a large ski resort in Maine. And right off the bat, the first time I visited the small town, I was totally sort of blown away because being used to any major large ski resort, there's infrastructure, there's condominiums, there's retail shops, there's lots of restaurants, there's bars you know, all the things that skiers like to do when they're off the slopes. And this one little place in Maine was an anomaly because it was the second largest ski resort in all of New England, and there were no restaurants and bars and retail shops and condominiums. All I saw were pine forests and potato fields. So this light bulb went off on my head on this job interview, and I said, you know, I'm used to going to this really rocking place in Switzerland that had pizza, beer, and ski movies. And if you were to pick that place up in any uh, and put it in any ski resort town in America, it would rock and roll. But here's the place to do it because this place needs everything. And market research sort of bore that out. And it took quite a while before I actually got hired for this ski resort job, you know, several months of interviews. I think I had like four rounds of job interviews. And every time I went up to this small town in Maine, I just started jotting down this business plan and doing more market research and just sort of investigating this opportunity. And uh, about that time, I started approaching banks because I was looking to buy one of those pine forests. There was a 10-acre piece of land for sale, and I wanted to build an authentic Swiss chalet on this pine forest in a great location, and I needed a million-dollar loan. So you can imagine the very first question the bankers asked, so how many bars or restaurants have you ever owned or managed before? And the answer was always, well, I've never been in the business before, but read the business plan. It's a great idea, and it's going to rock 
rock and roll. So I got laughed out a lot of bankers' offices until finally one banker for, at the time, there was a major uh, commercial bank called Fleet that was ultimately bought out by Bank of America. And this particular commercial loan officer skied at the ski resort every weekend. He was absolutely familiar with the opportunity. He could totally see that this place could work. Despite the fact that I never worked in the restaurant industry before, I did have an MBA, I had business skills, and he thought my business plan was sound. He still said to me, I'm not going to give you a million dollars. If you scale this thing way back, I might give you $150,000. So somehow I got into the business, and you can't really do much with $150,000 when you're getting into the business. You need equipment, you need a space. You know, you need working capital until you can establish a clientele, all those things. So I ended up in a place that was four failed restaurants before I got there on the wrong side of the railroad tracks with a leaky roof and no parking. And I did what I said I could do, and I made the place go right from the get-go. We had lines out the door, and I kept things simple, put systems in place. And then two years later, um, to, to end this story, two years later, there was an 18-acre piece of property for sale, literally on the doorstep of the ski resort with incredible visibility from all the skier traffic. And I went back to all the banks and said, I did what I said I could do. I want my million-dollar loan. Who's going to be the first to fund me? And I had three or four banks throwing money at me to do this concept. So uh, ultimately, the first restaurant had 75 seats, and then the second place, two years later, had 350 seats. And it really rock and rolled, and it grew every year based on systems I put in place. So that's how I got into the business. Wow, that's an awesome story. Never heard anything like that, but that's really, really cool. I mean, you just uh, got the dream and got the vision together and went after it, so you made it happen. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. And it was a lot easier back then before you had kids and you could borrow money and, you know, obviously take a lot more risks than you can much later in life. So that was an advantage as well. But, yeah, the place was... The place is still growing strong today. I sold it three years ago. I, I started other restaurants besides that. I sold all my properties, which was my wife's idea, and we moved to Sun Valley, Idaho, and sort of reinvented ourselves. Very cool. Very, very cool. Well, this is this is kind of an interesting, and I'll be kind of asking this or saying this from a point of ignorance, but anytime that I've talked to anybody about restaurants, you know, people always say there's no money in it, but these aren't people that have owned restaurants themselves, of course. So where do most people go wrong who get in this industry? You know, I think, what is it, 99% of restaurants close within a year or something like that? Where do it they go wrong? It is a huge failure rate, Jason. It absolutely is. So, you know, I mentioned systems earlier, but it really is all about financial controls because you are right. The margins are very slim. The average full-serve restaurant in North America or in America for that matter has about a 10 to 12% profit margin. That's a net profit. For every dollar of sales, they're lucky if they put 10 to 12 cents in the bank profit. And based on systems that I created, based on my business skills that I had, the MBA, I actually had double the net profit of the average restaurant, and I was pushing about uh, 29 to 30% net profit. And I had to do that because I had a seasonal operation that was literally only open four months a year, and when the snow melted, so did the customers. They all went away, and that place had to wring enough money, the numbers had to work, so that we could actually close the place for eight months and still have cash when we reopened again uh, in the following fall. So there's lots of ways that I did that. There's lots of systems marketing systems, affinity systems. I built strategic alliances with other businesses. I did all sorts of things that really packed the profits to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Um, do you think the, and this may be a dumb question, but do you think the location 
uh, like in like in, you know in investing with real estate or anything else like that is location huge i mean you go to any city in america i mean i, I guess location is probably a huge piece of it isn't it I do believe that to be true. I think, you know, in this business, it is one of the most challenging. I've been in lots of different businesses, but restaurants are definitely one of the most challenging. And I've always had this mantra that you should give yourself as many advantages as possible. Not to say that a great restaurant can't work in a bad location, but I certainly wouldn't want to try. Absolutely. And I'm sure there's huge competition for those prime spots, too. That's absolutely true as well. Mm -hmm. So, when a when a startup and, and we can stick to the restaurant industry, even startups in general, and I, I'm kind of like the audience here is going to be kind of that first th three years, basically. Um, how important are sales in the startup equation? And that may seem like a really dumb question, but I cannot tell you the amount of entrepreneurs in this mode that I talk to that like do anything they can to avoid selling. It's like the thing that scares them. They try to do everything but selling, and you know, how important is sales in that first three years? Well, you know, you're, you're going down a couple different roads simultaneously, and I can answer that question many different ways, but I think I'm hearing that most business owners, whether it's a restaurant or retail shop or whatever, sort of sit inside the four walls of their restaurant and they wait for the customers to come in the door, or they spend lots of money on traditional advertising, such as radio, print, TV, and direct mail, which I've always found to be very hard, if not impossible, to track. So there's really no ROI to that type of investment. So sales comes from two different places. It's you going out into the marketplace and building relationships with other businesses that can send you business, provide it's a non-competing business and doing what I call internal marketing. And internal marketing is everything that you can do in your business, regardless of what it is, to you know, put your best foot forward with the customer to create excitement, to create sense of value, and to train your staff to be brand ambassadors for your business. And if your staff, if your employees are showing your customers a great time, you can be sure that those customers are not only going to come back, but they're going to tell their friends and family and become brand ambassadors for your restaurant or your business, just like your employees will. So my success, part of my success came from doing just that. So yeah, sales is incredibly important. But it's also about cost. So you can have high sales, you can have a busy restaurant, you can have a busy any kind of business. But if your margins aren't solid, and if you're not, uh, you know, you're spinning your wheels, you're working 60, 80, 80 hours a week, wondering why your bank account isn't growing. So it's an equal part of that formula. Mm -hmm. Very nice. I just hearing you talk about this, I can tell that this is really your passion, isn't it? Yeah, it's my passion because now, you know, I spend a lot of time working with other restaurant owners and consulting through the benefit of my experience. And let's face it, you know, it is a hard knocks business. I don't mean to paint the glowing picture like everything I did turned to gold, man. Lots of bad stuff happened along the way that I learned from. And now I, you know, I can counsel others to stay away from that. But the secret formula to restaurant success is really about systems and it's about financial controls, and it's about staff development, recognition, and rewards, and just building what I call the dream team staff, because it's not just about the owner or the manager. It's really the foundation of any business is the staff you employ and how well-trained they are. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. My uh, Some of my corporate background is in HR and different companies I've worked for and worked with and, and even looked at working for. It always amazed me when I saw a company that almost had like a 1940s or 50s approach to their people. And it's like, guys, do you not realize that these are the folks who are going to make or break everything? So it's really refreshing to hear you place that extremely high value on the people because I agree with you. It's all about the people. You know, yeah, if you don't take care of them, I mean, it's, it's not going to work well for you. It's just not going to work. 
but surprisingly, some people seem to still not understand that. Yeah, and it's all about management technique as well. It's not about, you know, being the dictator type manager, my way or the highway. It's about building a team based on leading by example, teamwork and respect, not being too important to, you know, improve a guest experience, pick up a piece of paper that's, you know, outside in the parking lot, whatever it is, lead by example and also train your staff to notice, regardless of what type of business you're running, you've got staff with two eyes that notice things that are going to see what the customer sees hopefully before the customer sees it and fix what's broken. Empower your staff to do that. And that paid huge dividends over the years. You know, train your staff to think like an owner, to treat everything as if it was their own cash. And then the recognition and the reward sort of reinforces that concept. And that's all powerful stuff, no matter what type of business you're running. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I had a question for you, and my mind went blank. This has been happening a lot lately. I don't know what's going on with me, but um, okay, here's a, here's a question for you. So throughout your journey from that first restaurant to now, was there ever a point, you know, maybe it was a particular situation where you were like, oh, God, what am I doing? Have I, have I gone too far? Kind of that big moment of maybe I bit off more than I could chew. Just curious. That happened right in the very beginning, and then I can't really think of any episodes after that. Um, the biggest learning curve, the biggest, you know, eureka moment that was really, really painful was when I was starting that first restaurant that I told you about that was on the wrong side of the tracks, and we had borrowed one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And uh, I had a business partner at the time, and I was working that full-time job at the ski resort. And we were looking for a chef because we were basically three weeks out from opening. We didn't have any of the kitchen equipment we needed. You know, we got the rest of the restaurant open, but we didn't have a menu. We didn't have a chef, you know, and we were thinking, are we going to have to put our opening day, you know, delay it a bit and all this sort of stuff. And we answered an ad in uh, the Boston Globe for a chef that was looking for a seasonal operation. He was working on the island of Nantes. Nantucket. And he was looking for another transitional job because that place was going to close at the end of the summer because that was seasonal summer. We were seasonal winter. So we decided to go to Nantucket to interview this guy. And of course, he put on the dog. He was a fantastic chef. He cooked food like you wouldn't believe, you know, and he kind of dazzled us with his culinary skills. He had already put a preliminary menu together based on what he thought our concept to be. And so after that first meeting where, you know, everything looked on the up and up and legitimate, then he started spending weekends up in Maine. So he probably did two or three trips to Maine. And then on the third weekend, when we had hired this guy, he calls uh, my business partner and he says, I'm at a restaurant auction and everything that we need is being sold for pennies on the dollar. And I can bid on most of the stuff. I can rent a truck and bring it up this weekend. I just need the cash. Can you wire me some money to this particular bank account and blah, 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 blah. And uh, something didn't quite sound right to me, you know, but I was under a bunch of deadlines at work. My business partner was feeling desperate. Like, what are we going to do? We don't have the equipment. We, you know, we got to open our doors in three weeks. So under sort of duress, I said, okay, whatever. And we wired this guy $40,000 to a bank in New York. And not only did he not show up, uh, the, the equipment didn't show up. And it turns out that that money, he was a, he was sort of a, uh, he had a gambling problem, you might say. So all that $40,000 got 
spent in a uh, casino in the state of Connecticut. And it turned into an FBI investigation, and we tracked down his parents, and we sat in their living room as tears streamed down their face as they told us one story after another about how their very accomplished con man's son took every family member for every dime they had, plus several restaurants along the way. So you kind of go to bed that night saying, are we still going to go through with this, or are we going to pay back the remaining 110000 and be on the hook to the bank for forty grand with no restaurant? And we just decided with fortitude that, you know, no one was going to take us down. We had come too far. We were going to make it work. So we had less working capital than ever, but we did make it work. We opened our doors and never saw that $40,000 again. But that was probably the worst thing that ever happened over the course of my 20-year career in the restaurant business. Wow. There's a, I'm saying 999 out of 1,000 would have crumbled in that situation. I mean, just yeah, I mean, psychologically no choice, alone. Right? I mean, psychologically alone, yeah. most people just be like, "I'm done." So that's uh, that's incredible. That's a very that shows me who I'm talking to. You're not uh, you're not going down without a fight, are you? It was a tough one, but yeah, we moved forward and we made it work. And you know, like I said, the rest is history. But yeah, very challenging business. Lots of other things happened over the years, but nothing too you know too detrimental to uh, to stop forward movement, forward momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next question, it's about restaurants, but I think any any entrepreneur can take what you're going to say and apply it to their business. So when you meet with other restaurants, what do you think the, the number one struggle or pain point that they have is? Is it that you know, sales you, piece? Or? No, it's actually staffing. You know, this is a tough labor market no matter where you are, and it's really hard to compete with other businesses that can pay more money. Um, it is a high transient business. So I'd say the number one problem that I come across all the time is, is building that dream team and getting staff that stick around, that you can then train, that you know, aren't just there for a paycheck. And I've got lots of solutions on how to do just that. But unfortunately, this business, like most businesses, you know, the help wanted ads come into play. And business owners go first to the help wanted because it's the warm body syndrome. I just lost somebody. I need to replace that person immediately. And I never hired that way. I always hired for approach, personality, and desire to serve the public. And I could train the rest. And then I asked my A players, because every business has one or two really great people. So then you ask them, who else do you know that has your approach that would really fit in well here, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And so you get recommendations. And then, you know, you, you ask certain questions that are very difficult to answer, but really come from the heart as opposed to someone just giving you an answer that they think you want to hear. And then, oh, you're hired. Thanks. You know, you start Monday. So you got to avoid that approach to hiring. You got to take a different approach, hire the right people using the right techniques, and then train, develop, nurture, lead by example, recognize and reward these people. And that cuts your turnover, which is really hugely expensive, retraining somebody that might last two or three weeks just for the paycheck, and then you got to find somebody else again. So that is probably the number one issue that I see right off the bat. Mm -hmm. So interesting that, you know, that's a, one of the number one issues that a lot of businesses, even in the corporate world, one thing you said I really liked was, uh, about going to your A players and kind of seeking, you know, who else do you know? Because what I typically see is A players run with other A players, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Very so true. that's a very smart approach. And I think anybody listening can benefit from that. So very, very nice. Uh, what three tips would you offer for just ongoing support for all entrepreneurs? So I've heard you say several times today that you have uh, been very smart and very proactive about networking with other businesses so what are three tips for our listeners to kind of, uh, you know, get their own ongoing support set up for them? 
Yeah, I want to go back to that idea of systems. You know, they say you've got a system. If you can walk away from your business for a week, a month, or a year, and it's more successful, just as profitable, or more so than when you left. And that means, you know, I've always had another mantra, work on your business today so you decide how you work in it tomorrow or if you work in it at all. And that's sort of what came true for me. I mean, the restaurant business is so demanding and so challenging, but I see so many people work in those 80 hour weeks. They're in their sixties, you know, they miss their kids growing up and, and now suddenly it's, it's almost, I won't say too late. It's never too late. You know, there is no finish line, but you see where I'm going with that. They're spinning their wheels. They're wondering why their business isn't profitable. They can't afford to hire a manager and they're killing themselves in a very demanding business. And, and any, de any business is demanding. So if you can put those systems in place and if you can train your staff to treat the place like they owned it so that they have your back, so that you can have the big picture in mind, focus on the finances and the marketing, but be a customer in your own business, see what the customer sees, and you know, make sure that you develop that team. That's going to pay you the biggest dividends. And that is a that is an exit strategy. Whether you choose to sell your business like I did or keep it or start additional businesses or franchise, whatever, systems are the key to all of that. So work on your business today so you decide how you work in it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I like what you said. I mean, having options is a great thing. You know, and, and what you just said is, is doing just that. You know, it's nice when you can make the big decision. Like you said, do I stay in? Do I sell? Do I, you know, limit right. my time? It's great. You know, I'm 35 and I'm 65. I do not want to be working 80 hours doing anything. So I, I get what you mean there for sure. Yeah. If there was a second, it would be service. I mean, service is paramount. I've always believed that service is everything and standing out from the competition by treating every customer, regardless of, of the business you have, like the most important customer in the place. That is, that is just the hugest thing that you can do. Because again, not only are they going to come back again, you're going to set yourself apart from every other competitor, even in a high competitive marketplace. And those people are going to be brand ambassadors for your business. And they're going to drive lots of business back to you. So it really comes down to service. Everything you do is about pleasing that customer, delivering great value for the dollar and treating them like, you know, it's that cheers formula. People want to go where everybody knows their name. And if they're treated, even if they're a first time visitor, if you treat them like they've been a longtime customer or an old friend, you can be, you can bet they're going to come back again. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I uh, I think that's all really good stuff. And it's funny because the things we're talking about, they're not secrets. They're not new ideas, but still right. so many people choose not to do them. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's all about the little things. You know, the customer thing you were talking about, you know, I uh, I got an email from a, a, a client of my own uh, late the other night, you know, maybe 1130 at night. And she was on a central time. I'm on Eastern time. And we were talking about Facebook marketing. She had a couple questions. She's like, man, I'd really love to jump on a call now. So many people would have just ignored that or whatever. But I said, yeah, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's do it. So it's those little things go, this little conversation, little extra effort. I mean, it can be the thing that separates you from everybody else, you know? It's absolutely so, true. Absolutely true. So really curious, uh, Roger, a little curveball for you, but nothing too okay. extreme. <laughs> if you never got involved with restaurants, what do you think you would have been doing instead? 
Well, you know, I did have a passion for the ski industry when I was in it. So I, I guess if it wasn't restaurants, it would have had something to do with skiing because they say that do what you're passionate about and the money will follow and you'll be happy the rest of your life. It turns out I was very happy with, with the restaurant business. I'm very happy with what I'm doing today, but I'm still a passionate skier and that's why I live in Sun Valley. And uh, I'm sure I would do something entrepreneurial probably in the ski or the outdoor industry. I love it. I'm a big outdoorsman myself. And I remember my mom took me skiing in Southern Indiana when I was a kid. I was probably like five or six. And I went down the little bunny slope. And I remember the skis kind of separating on me and me doing the splits and then rolling. And I remember like the groin pain and the ankle pain. And I was like kind of terrified. I don't think I've ever been back again. But I, I hear people say it's absolutely amazing. Um, any suggestions for a rookie like me? I mean, is it too late for me to get back into it at 35 or? No, no, it absolutely isn't. You know, it's amazing. There are lots of people here. Sun Valley seems to have a lot, you know, a large population of older retired skiers. And I see people out there in their seventies and there's even a couple in their eighties. And I've talked to some of these people and they actually, some of them actually told me they started in their forties and they became so passionate about it that now that they're retired, they do it every day. There's people here that don't miss a day because they live in the community that's close to the major ski resort, but they started late in life, developed a passion for it. And now it's all they do. That's awesome. I love that. You know, I I hate when people say, oh, it's too late. You know, the the story I always think of is Colonel Sanders and KFC. Uh, Not familiar. I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but basically he was doing something he he didn't like until I think it's mid sixties. I actually started KFC. And by the time he died at 88, he was a self-made billionaire. So the point is it's never too late for, for anything. I like to say there's no finish line. Yep. And there absolutely isn't. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say also, I'm a, I'm a huge outdoorsman, and I'd love to come to Idaho for the, the hunting and fishing opportunities. I've actually never been west, and my fear is that when we go west that I will never come back to the Midwest. A lot of people move here and never go back. You know, we came here <laughs> sight unseen based on the beauty and based on the amenities that, uh, you know, we were looking for. But you're right. I mean, it's a huge hunting. It's a huge fishing. You know, fly fishing is huge here. So if you're into the outdoors, this is definitely one place to be where you can enjoy all those pursuits and passions. Very nice. So what is the, the restaurant Rockstars Academy? Tell me about that for a second. So Restaurant Rockstars Academy is a virtual online training system that is a series of systems, actually. There are five different modules, but it's basically something that a first time, if you're going to start a restaurant with absolutely no business skills or no restaurant experience, much like I did 20 years ago, it's a crash course in everything you need to know to not only start it, whether you're going to buy an existing restaurant, whether you're going to start one from scratch, lease a space buy land, build a building, you name it. Module one is all about logistics. The second module is all about the critical financial controls because I I always believe that, you know, understanding the basic financial foundation of your business is critically important to making money. So I make numbers absolutely simple for people, even if they're not a numbers person. And it includes, you know, fully automated turnkey spreadsheets. I teach you what the numbers are, where to find them, how to plug them into the spreadsheet. Now you can analyze your critical financials in just minutes a week. The third module is all about staff training, service, recognition, and rewards, and developing the dream team like we talked about earlier. The fourth module is all about internal marketing and all the powerful 
powerful ideas that you can drive business to your business as opposed to sitting inside waiting for the door to open and a customer to walk in. And then the fifth module is all about efficiency. So it's, again, virtual, it's online, and uh, it's available 24-7 from any device. And literally everything I've learned in 23 years of running super successful restaurants is packed into that product. And I also take it a step further. I now consult to restaurants. So if you buy the online product, but you need somebody to sort of hold you accountable and you know hold you to task and give you homework assignments and really analyze the critical numbers that you come up with and your marketing strategy, I'll do that also. Very nice. Very, very nice. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of good things going on. Uh, what else is next for you? What do you got going on in the next six months or so? Well, you know, I've, I've just been um, hired to be an international franchise consultant for a very fast-growing fa- franchise. And, uh, you know, they, they get a lot of people that are interested because it's growing so fast. But, uh, you know, running a restaurant is a very challenging thing. So I'm giving people a competitive advantage by, you know, helping them start these franchises and run them. I'm also doing speaking engagements. You know, I've done quite a few in the industry. And from time to time, some of the top food service suppliers in the country will uh, hire me to come in and speak in front of their, you know, their key customers and give them some competitive advantages. So I've got one of those coming up in Florida um, in October. I think I'm speaking in front of a thousand key customers of one of the largest largest food service suppliers. That's going on. We're always adding new products. I've I've written two books. Uh, I just launched one book as an audio version. So I'm a pretty busy guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's going on? Awesome. Well, if somebody listening today uh, would like to reach out to you, Roger, and continue that conversation with you one-on-one, what's the best way for them to contact you? You know, I love personal emails and I answer everyone. And even if you've got a question at no obligation, I'm so passionate about the business. I love to help other people. If it's a business related question, I'm happy to answer it. If it's a restaurant question, but the best way to reach me is R-O-G-E-R at restaurantrockstars with an S.com. That's plural, restaurantrockstars.com. So yeah, you can email me there. And if you're just curious about what's going on, my website is restaurantrockstars.com. Awesome. Well, Roger, I love having you on today. Tons of value here. Very cool story and some great examples of overcoming some pretty extreme uh, struggles as well. So thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time. Yeah, I enjoy your podcast, Jason. and I really appreciate your inviting me on as a guest. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Awesome. Take care. Until next time. You as well. Thanks. All right. We are back to the show. And earlier, I don't even think I mentioned this is episode 103. I don't think I mentioned that. So it's 103. If you want to check out the show notes, learn a little bit more about Roger and his info and what he's doing, uh, you can go to intentionallyinspirational.com forward slash episode 103 and get those there. And Roger, if you're listening, I appreciate it, man. Um, appreciate your time and your knowledge. Good stuff for sure. So my final thought for, for the show today, it's about brand awareness. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of Gary V lately. I mean, I'm talking like 20 to 30 hours a week podcast because I can put that in one year, work with the other and, and keep going. And it's allowed me to consume a ton of content. And it's interesting because Gary, he sees things a lot differently than a lot of people. He's got really good instincts, uh, really pays attention to them and, and lets those guide him. But he says something that makes a lot of sense to me. It's about brand awareness. And you know, he has a book called Jab, 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 Right Hook. And what that means is give value, give value, give value, then sell. And if you think about that, you know, like if you think about like a Facebook ad, people will 
spend money, and it could be the business owner, it could be a marketer. They'll spend money. They won't get any sales, and they're like, Facebook doesn't work. Facebook does work, but there's two problems. One, it's a lot harder to use than people think. And two, everybody wants results overnight, but any kind of good marketing campaign takes time. So if you're thinking about um, Facebook or Instagram marketing per se, brand awareness is basically just letting people know you exist. So you go into something like that, you get a plan together, maybe it's a six-month or more approach. And it's, you know, let's capture the essence of what we're doing. You know, the content we create. So we've got the podcast that you're listening to now. We've got the blog and we've got the book so far. That's content. And all of that is plays into content marketing and it's, it's brand awareness. It lets people know what intentionally inspirational is. We do uh, digital marketing and, you know, motivational content for entrepreneurs. You know, on the, the business side, we consult and we design and build. So I finally got it down to, to that simple of an explanation, but it's really powerful and it really uh, lets people know. But instead of me going out there all the time with the podcast and the content and, you know, the paid marketing, I'm not trying to sell everybody stuff because I'm telling you, it doesn't work. I don't respond well to that crap at all. And here's an easy litmus test for you guys. Think about this. Do you like being sold to or do you like whatever you're doing, if the answer is no, well, why the hell would you do it to other people and expect good results? So think about that. Everything that you do, you know, brand awareness is really your reputation. You know, think about how you can maybe take the longer, slower approach with your business this year. It doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter if you're a plumber. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, a consultant or a life coach. There's a lot of opportunities to get your real self out there. And be patient because your personality is different than everybody else's. So I don't care if there's 500 companies doing the same thing as you. They're not going to do it quite the same way because it's it's you. It makes it unique. So a lot of uh, thoughts to think about today, but I, I hope there's great value for you there. If you guys like the podcast, I would challenge you this week, share it or introduce one person to it. It could be brother, coworker, mom, dad, whoever. Introduce one person to it and say, you know what? You can listen to this while you drive, while you work out. If you just want to hear a different perspective about things, just give it a listen and see what happens. That is all I ask. As always, I appreciate your ear. I will catch up with you again next week for episode 104. Until then, take care. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to Intentionally Inspirational. You can keep up with all of our new episodes on CastBox, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We look forward to having you join us again next week for another great episode.